Open your Bible this morning to Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. For some of you, this might be the very last page of your, the text of your Bible anyway. For others of you, maybe it's the next to last. But you'll notice we've made our way to the very end. Revelation chapter 22, begin reading in verse 6. Let's hear the words of our shepherd to his sheep. And he said to me, that's Christ said to me, John, these words, the book of Revelation, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, For the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil. And the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. To repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, the needy children that you are. We began the morning today asking, Father, for you to shine your face down upon us, for you to show us the radiance of your glory, to to captivate our dull and dry souls with the beauty and majesty of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And we continue, Father, 
to pray that. We continue to pray that through your word today, you would show us Christ. Show us his fullness. Show us the fullness of his person in his work. Show us the centrality of Christ. Show us that he is all and that to our last breath, to our dying breath, until you return, our great effort is simply to cling to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Father, give us eyes to see this morning. Give us ears to hear what your word has to say. Give us clarity that can only come from you to understand how this book of Revelation that you've given to us, you intend as a means of grace, as a shepherd to your sheep. Lead us, guide us, care for us in these dangerous days that we may finish well, that we may finish faithful to Jesus Christ by your grace and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, you can look at the text and see that we have come now to the conclusion of the book of Revelation. But today will not be the end. In fact, we will spend no less than two weeks on this text and... As I was looking over it again yesterday, it may be more like three or four weeks on this text uh, because there is something very important for us here in these final verses of the book of Revelation. And I might frame it for you this way. Here's the importance of this, these closing words of the book of Revelation. It reminds us something important that we are all prone to forget when we think about the book of Revelation, and it's this, that it is first and foremost a letter. Yes, we have said from the get-go that the genre of the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. That it's a vision of God. It's communicated differently from all other communications of God, or at least most other, where the biblical writers would say, thus saith the Lord, and they would write out propositionally what the Lord has said. But in apocalyptic literature, God is giving a vision. And he's using, he's using pictures that have been scattered all throughout the Bible to communicate his truth. And that tends to be how we think about the book of Revelation, which is right and true. But we must also remember that above all else, Revelation is a letter. Like Paul's letter to those in Rome who were, are loved by God and called to be saints, Romans chapter 1. And like Peter's letter in 1 Peter 1 to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Likewise, the book of Revelation was a letter written by John the Apostle to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, who again are symbolic of every church in every age. And the conclusion to this letter, the book of Revelation, reminds us of this fact. Because ever since chapter 4, we have been inundated with vision after vision after vision after vision. We've been cycling around to these visions, and we've seen, well, these really are the same visions uh, recapitulated, recycled over and over, but they're showing us new things. But it's been vision after vision after vision. But here in the closing of the letter, these visions break. And Revelation closes the way you would expect a letter to close, with a word of exhortation from the author. The author saying, here, it was a letter. Go back to the chapter 1, you'll see. Here's the message. It's these visions from God in Christ. And now in closing, let me remind you how our great shepherd intended this vision, this series of visions, to be a means of grace to you. 
So what is the exhortation that's found in these verses we just read? Well, we might frame it this way, that the book of Revelation from beginning to end was written to encourage Christians to walk faithfully with Jesus Christ in this world. To encourage Christians with all this going on around them to cling to Jesus Christ and on the basis of who Jesus is in his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, the perfect God-man, fully God, fully human, who went to the cross dying the death we deserve to die. God making a way, right kids? A way where there seems no way for a sinner like me to be forgiven by a God like that. God made a way through Jesus Christ. The perfect God-man, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to the right hand of the Father, where even now the work of redemption continues as Christ Jesus intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the Father until the Father brings us home. On the basis of who Christ is, on the basis of what Christ has done, on the basis of Christ envisioned in these visions, the sovereign King on His throne ruling all things even in, this time, even in this church age, walk faithfully with Him. That was a primary exhortation of the book of Revelation to the seven churches. Along those same lines, to discourage us from worldliness, to discourage us from idolatry, to discourage us from drifting from this Christ. The book of Revelation, the message is not that different from the book of Hebrews that we spent uh, almost two years going through. Remember how the, the, the people to whom the author of Hebrews were writing to? Man, they, because of their love for Jesus Christ, because of their devotion to Him, they were being persecuted. Many of them were losing their lives. Some of them, their children were being taken from them and murdered before their very eyes. They were having their own children thrown into a coliseum and they were made to watch the wild beasts eat their children to death. And the, the Christians were saying, what in the world are we doing? Life was so much easier before Jesus. Maybe we should go back to our old religious system, back to the old Jewish system. And the author of Hebrews is writing, no, no, don't turn back. Don't you know what you have in Christ? And that's where we come upon that passage in Hebrews 12. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, did everything necessary to bring you to God. Whatever Christ costs you in this life, cling to him. Don't drift. Don't turn away. Well, that's the exact same message of the book of Revelation. It's very consistent with the whole to discourage worldliness and idolatry and drift away from Christ, drift away from a life of holiness and faithfulness to Him. Isn't that what, as Jesus walked among the seven churches, that was what He is seeing. They had drifted away from Him. The book of Revelation discourages that. And the book of Revelation promotes faithfulness and perseverance to Jesus to the end. And that's what these closing of this letter, these verses, really are going to be driving home to us over the course of the next few weeks. The author of Hebrews is closed, excuse me, Revelation is writing saying, this is what this vision is all about. Now, you might be inclined to say, well, my goodness, that would have been helpful to know from the beginning. To which I would reply, we did. We did know this from the very beginning. This purpose was very clearly established in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. I went back in my old notes, my manuscripts from the early. We spent six weeks in chapter one itself. 
thinking we would never get into chapter 2. What were we doing there? We were laying the foundation. You may even recall some of my words saying like, John is laying out for us here how he intends for us to understand this letter. It's probably not going to be the way we have always understood the letter. So we have to return to what does John tell us his purpose is? And we spent a repetitious number of weeks trying to lay out this foundation that here at the end of the book, he's coming right back to and saying, let me remind you, this is what the book was all about. In chapter 1, verse 3, a blessing was pronounced upon all those who read aloud the words of this prophecy, the book of Revelation, and upon those who hear and who keep what is written in it. The key word there is keep. The title of my message this morning and for the next few weeks is simply this, keeping the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keeping the revelation of Jesus Christ. That was the bless blessing that was announced in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud this book and keeps it. What does it mean to keep? To obey it. To live in light of its truths. And in this first message on this closing text this morning. I'm not going to linger long here, but I do want to set the foundation for what we'll be talking about at the close of this message and in the subsequent messages to it. By remembering Revelation chapter 1, we can be reminded of what all along we've been trying to drive home the book of Revelation is all about. You may remember in chapter 1 a vision of Christ walking in the midst of his churches, represented by seven lampstands. And John himself interprets, the, the lampstands are the churches. So we don't have to guess. He's telling us what they are. And Christ in chapter 1 is displayed in radiant glory, in holiness. Do you remember the description? He has eyes like a, a, a fire. And he has coming out of his lips, out of his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. And the vivid picture of Christ walking among his churches in this way, left us with the impression he means business. And as he's walking among his churches, he's not just there for the fanfare, he's inspecting. This is his bride. These are those that he bought by his blood. And he has every right to expect that among those who love him, that when they gather together for his worship, he will be preeminent. And in those opening chapters, Christ means business. He's gazing into the life of these churches with those eyes of fire. And with that tongue like a two-edged sword, we expect what? He's going to have something strong to say about what he finds. And in chapters 2 and 3, isn't that what we find? Christ walking amongst his churches, and he does. He, he exposes. He says, this is what I found. This is what I saw. I have this against you. I came expecting me to be central, and this is what I found. I found false teaching. I found hearts that were cold towards me. I found hearts who maybe at one time professed love for me, but they've long lost that first love. I even came upon a church who they gathered together in my name, and I'm knocking on the door outside. I'm not even in there. I'm not even fellowshipping and communing with you. But you still gather, sing, preach, pray. And woe unto you, repent, return to your king. 
in each of the letters. What is Christ doing in those churches? Exactly what John is telling us here at the conclusion. He's exhorting, he's encouraging what? Faithfulness to Christ, holiness to Christ, purity in doctrine and in teaching and in life that Christ is all. Perseverance, clinging to Christ to the very end. And then in chapters 4 through 22, he gives these visions of Christ. I have tried so hard in every one of these visions to not sensationalize them. In every one of these visions, you can go back and listen. My topic has been in all of them. Look at your king. Look at your king on display here. We can differ on what the, the different things mean, but really, those things don't even matter. Look at your king. Because right after Jesus' exhortation, walk in holiness, walk in purity, return to me, repent, do the things you did at first. He doesn't leave the church to pull up their bootstraps. You know what? He's right, guys. Let's get, let's get, get it together. He says the only way that you can return in this way is to behold Christ as he is. Let me pull back the veil and let me show you your king in this time between his ascension until he returns. And isn't that what the writer of Hebrews says? Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Isn't that what Paul says in Corinthians? And we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, King Jesus, we are being transformed into the same likeness from one degree of glory to another, from where we are down here where Christ says, I'm I have this against you, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. How? By looking unto Jesus. And here at the close of the letter, John is reminding us, this is the exhortation. Look to Jesus. Blessed are those who keep this book. What is there to keep? Your eyes on Jesus. And so the book both begins with this emphasis on the purpose of revelation is to promote faithfulness and fidelity and holiness unto and purity in worship and devotion to Jesus Christ. And the book closes, it bookends with the exact same message to remind us, don't get lost in the visions. Oh, how Satan would love to make you turn those visions into something they're not. Anything to take your eyes off the blazing glory of the beauty and majesty of Christ. Oh, how the, the enemy would love to have us fight about end time views. So long as we don't fall entranced in Jesus Christ. And that's the closing of the letter here. Paul exhorting, exhorting us, look to Jesus. The visions, don't, make, don't, make, don't misunderstand me, are glorious. The visions we saw in chapters 4 through 22 are marvelous. But the unfortunate thing is throughout, at least for the last 200 years, this has not been true all throughout church history, only in the last 200 years or so, broadly speaking, has Revelation been turned into a book to research and to define and defend your end time view of the millennium or the end times. You go back and read the early church fathers who had the book of Revelation. They're not having these discussions we squabble over. They're falling in love with Jesus. 
They're seeing the beauty and majesty of Jesus on display. And this is what the writer John here is reminding us here at the close. The purpose of this book is that we needy sheep living in this dark, dangerous day. We need our shepherd. And here's your vision of your shepherd. Savior like a shepherd lead us. In these visions we saw magnificent things. Visions of heaven, visions of God, visions of Christ. A sealed scroll, a lamb who was slain, who is also simultaneously a lion. That one is worthy to open a scroll. The seals are broken. Partial judgments are poured out upon the earth. The souls of the saints are seen singing in heaven, O Lord, how long till you return? God says, not yet. There's still more to do. He pours out more judgments. There's an interlude. Then God's people are preserved in the midst of the final judgment, a major tribulation. And he comes and he pours out his wrath upon in final judgment. That was just the first seal. And then there's a recapulation. The seals give way to trumpets. What's a trumpet? It's a warning. The trumpets do the exact same thing. And then that leads to the bowl judgments. What does a bowl do? A trumpet warns. A bowl means it's being poured out. That in these judgments, it's all going on simultaneously, but there does reach a point to where it's too late. You better listen to the trumpet judgment because when that trumpet turns into a bowl believer, church in Jesus Christ, there is no second chance. Divisions then portray a a conflict of the ages, the dragon pursuing the seed of the woman, the child, the child rescued, brought to heaven by God, the dragon then going after uh, the mother, going after the church, the dragon is cast down. The dragon continues his assault upon the child's mother, the church. These are quickly judged by God. The dragon is judged by God. And then all the enemies of God are judged by God. They're sent to everlasting death. Those who live under Christ are brought to everlasting life. They go to a place prepared for them, the new heaven and the new earth. If you'll allow me, there's just a quick summation of the visions of Revelation chapter 4 through 22. And oh, how we get lost in some of those. We get all caught up. Now, when is this occurring? Who are these people? How does this happen? Uh, the dragon, when, who, how, who's the false prophet? Who's the Antichrist? My goodness, where, where does the rapture come into all this? When all of this is intended to be a means of grace from our shepherd to give us a vision of King Jesus, to say you need this Christ every moment of every day of your life as your soul is tempted to drift from this one, to compromise, to false teaching, you need this one. And so these visions serve God's greater purpose to show us Christ. My efforts over the past year have been tried to demonstrate and to show in each of those visions, I don't care what millennial views. That is not the point. The point is Christ. What does this text show us about the beauty and majesty of Christ? And I told you in the very first message, you will probably find that I have a different view of Revelation than the one I was grown up with. I didn't come to where I am today 
cavalierly. I didn't just think, how can I aggravate as many people as possible? My soul, I've come to where I am on the basis of the biblical evidence that comes all through. And I, I made this statement a number of times. When this study is over, you have every right to disagree with me. And I promise you, I'll still be your friend. Because my purpose is not to make you see the book of Revelation and my end time view the way and have you think, my, I want you to see Christ. And if we come to these concluding verses where Paul, or excuse me, John is upholding, this has been my purpose all along, and our hearts are cold toward Christ, oh my goodness, ask God's forgiveness. The visions are given to exhort us, cling to Christ, persevere in Jesus, Worship this God in Christ alone. Live unto this one. Flee idolatry. Flee worldliness. Oppose that which is false. Fix your gaze upon Jesus Christ and live unto him. So if that's the purpose of the book of holiness, uh, excuse me, the book, if that's the purpose of the book of Revelation as John is laying out here in verses 6 through 21, which is merely an echo of everything he said in chapter 1, and this morning, the question is, how do we keep the book of Revelation? How do we keep it? Well, let's consider the first exhortation. We'll only get through one of them. And there are, if I'm counting correctly, at least five exhortations. What is the first? It, we find it in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then we have the words of Christ himself. Verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps. Now, I want you to see that is the same blessing that we're told about in chapter 1, verse 3, where John writes, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keeps what is written in it. What does it mean to keep? It means to obey. And here in 22.7, we read, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book. Do you see how the book begins and ends with the same emphasis, the same priority, the same purpose? The intent of the revelation of Jesus Christ is that we would keep what we see. That has been the objective from beginning to end. And to keep, again, means to obey. We see the word to keep elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What does keep mean there? The dragon makes war on those who obey God's word. Keep means to obey. Same thing in chapter 14. We read, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. In keeping means enduring to the end. It means faithfully clinging to Christ until the very end. It's obeying him and living unto him.
I think there's help here. Consider with me if the prophecies of the book of Revelation were only given for the purpose of revealing the future to us. What is there to keep? If the visions of the book of Revelation are only of something that's going to happen at some unknown time in the future, what is our obligation to keep there? What would the first century Christians to whom this passage was written, what are they to keep? What are they to obey? If this is something that's not even going to affect them in their lifetime, but is some future event, you can't obey a prophecy that's going to happen some X number of years in the future. But once we settle with the idea that the prophecies of this book are given not to tell us about the future, but to promote faithfulness to Christ, fidelity to Christ, holiness to Christ, purity in our worship to Christ, that Christ would be all even through the most dangerous and difficult of days in the church age, then the meaning of keep the revelation of Jesus Christ becomes clear. We are to receive these prophecies as true, as true revelation of who Christ is, of what He's done, of Him sitting on His throne, sovereign over all things, and to live according to that now. That's what keeping the prophecy is. The truths revealed in these visions reveal, are about God. They're about Christ. They're about heaven and earth. And they demand a response. Any engagement with the book of Revelation that stays in a notebook on the end times has miserably failed to understand the glory of God in Christ and His purpose in revealing this to those churches who are going through widespread persecution and temptation to drift away from Christ. And if you think back to chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22, right now counts forever. If they don't return to their king right now, what awaits them? Final judgment. We are to respond to the revelation of Jesus Christ with faith and with obedience. To keep it means to we reshape our lives around what this text reveals me. When, when I go back out into the world each Sunday, I take with me what the text reveals to me about Christ. And I live my life, same challenges that I walked in with. Same temptations that I walked in with. Same persecutions I walked in with. But I walk out clinging to this vision of Christ victorious over all, right now reigning even over those enemies. Having conquered them at the cross. Satan being already uh, pinned up. I walk out with a renewed grace, with a renewed power, with a renewed encouragement. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Because the world is dangerous. And that's what revelation is. To keep the revelation of Jesus Christ is to obey it and to reshape our lives around the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pause for application. We're in chapter 22. If we've not begun to make these types applications, woe is us. Repent. Are you keeping 
the prophecy of Jesus Christ in this book? Have you made concerted efforts to seek the face of God, to pray for grace, to go beyond just whether you disagree with me on on a particular interpretation of a passage? Have you gone, my great need is not to agree with the pastor on his interpretation. My great need is the Christ that we've exalted, that we've brought up. Have you sought to live in a way that agrees with the truth of Jesus Christ that's on display? The the curtain, the veil has been pulled back in chapter 4. Look up. Are you keeping that vision in your life? Are you resisting on the basis of who Christ is the temptation to drift away from Him? Are you using this vision when you find your soul drifting toward worldliness? Then let me set my gaze. Let me go back to Revelation 4, 5, 6, 7, 14, 15. It doesn't matter any of them. Let me go back and see this Christ and be reminded of His beauty and His majesty and what the book of Revelation is telling me in every passage. Nothing can compare to Him. And I repent of of pursuing all other lovers and I return to Jesus. Are you... Living for the glory of this king. Are you trusting in this king? Are you keeping the revelation of Jesus Christ, obeying it in your life? What I have found to be true, this requires great intentionality, great thoughtfulness, great maturity. Why maturity? Because you're just like me. For most of our lives, our only understanding of the book of Revelation has been in terms of the end time. It requires great maturity to humble myself and say, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. And in the end, it really doesn't matter. What matters is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what captivates me. That, I will not let anything distract me from Jesus Christ. It requires great thoughtfulness, great prayerfulness, great maturity. To seek the face of God and say, Lord, my life does not sync up with the revelation of Jesus Christ on display. My life does not sync up as I think about my relationship with the world and with sin in my life and with idols of my life. It does not sync up with the beauty of Christ on display. And I pray forgiveness, I repent, and I pray for grace to help me return to Christ Jesus. Do you see, the blessing that's promised both in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is for those who do those types of things. The blessing is for those who are keeping this beauty of Christ and applying it to their life. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, the blessing of God throughout the Bible is... His favor? Please don't hear, let's not, let's not go crazy. We're not talking about monetary favor. We're not talking about, we're talking about you get God. You get Him. Which supersedes anything else this world. So you have God's favor. To have the blessing of God is to have in Him everything that produces the joy you're so desperately looking for. To be blessed in the book of Revelation is to be blessed with the fullness of God filling every void in your life now and throughout all eternity. Meaning what? There will never be a lack in your life. There there should never be a joyless day in your life because of what you have in Jesus Christ, God himself. Does that make sense? That's blessing. Can you think of anything better than that? Now, 
That's the blessing of God. Now, the world is all too happy to try to offer us an alternative blessing, a different kind of happiness. And the world will give us a kind of blessing that when things are going well, we actually feel happy. We feel blessed. But then when the storm clouds come, when the rains fall, when the flowers are washed away, all of a sudden the world's, what we thought it was going to satisfy us, it hasn't. And then what happens to us? We drift into despair, discouragement, a lack of joy. Why? Because we tried to make the things of this world our blessing instead of God himself. But God in heaven is the blessed one. God who is eternal, unchanging, He's the source of all blessings. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Why? Because all comes from Him. The great treasure of the Christian life is Him as revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's why the book of Revelation is able to pronounce blessing upon those who keep the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those who pursue this Christ, those who go after Him with everything, the promise of blessing. Why? Because you get Him, the God-man, in beauty and majesty. And one of the great helps of the book of Revelation is that it promises blessing for those who keep the words of the revelation of Jesus Christ, those who seek Him. It promises blessing. But it is not shy about the fact that Christians suffer. You can go back and look at the, the seven churches. You can go and look at the portrayal of the visions of the great dragon and of the, the great beasts of the sea and the land, the Antichrist and the false prophet. You can go and see that throughout the church age, these Influences are in the world while the church is here and they are doing everything in their power, what? To turn us from Christ. Because what, do they hate us? No, we're nothing. They hate Christ. And so, the Christian life becomes, if we're paying attention to the book of Revelation, it's a war. The Christian life, we have real enemies. In the Christian life, we're not immune to temptations, trial, tribulation. The book of Revelation makes clear that we should expect to suffer. This is not the new heaven and new earth. When we get there, by God's grace, for those who've clung to Jesus through the ups and downs of life and persevere to the end, then there will be no more tear, no more suffering, and so on and so forth. But again, that's secondary. It's God. He's the blessing. He's what we want. But in this life, expect suffering. And some Christians will die a martyr's death. But in spite of these real realities, John's letter is saying to us, you can still have blessing and enjoy blessing in this life. Listen to these promises of blessing that we find in the book of Revelation alone. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Chapter 14, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed 
are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Chapter 16, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, clinging to Christ, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed apart from Christ. Chapter 19, verse 9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Chapter 20, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. Chapter 22, the, our text today, Blessed, or behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. And then verse 14 of the chapter, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Do you see? Blessed are those who keep the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is blessing. Will you at times struggle? Absolutely. That's why we sing a song like we just sang. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Sheep throughout the Bible are weak and frail and ignorant and will do stupid things to their own detriment, to their own demise. And who does the Bible tell us is the great shepherd? It's Christ himself. It's Christ himself. And so Revelation is very clear But for the children of God, for the sheep of God. You will at times struggle. You will at times be discouraged, be depressed. You will go through seasons of melancholy. Christians do get depressed. Christians do from time to time walk around with what feels like a dark cloud hanging over them. And the reasons for those can be very complex. Maybe the Lord is allowing you to walk through that for a season because He intends to refine and purify you and show you you have nothing apart from Him. Return to your King. Maybe, maybe sometimes the melancholy and the discouragement and the depression we go through is a result of sin. God disciplines those that He loves. So maybe you've sinned in word or deed. Maybe you've lost control of your lips and you've said Things that aren't true, that aren't real, that aren't faithful to God, that aren't reflective of the glory of Christ in your language. And the Lord is disciplining you. Maybe in your, your, your thought life, maybe in your heart, you're sinning. You're not treasuring Christ supremely. And what did we see this morning in Daniel chapter 9? That God is just. He is righteous. He has every right. When He's not receiving the glory His due, He has every right to discipline and to punishment His people. For, to what end? that we would recognize our great need is the manifest presence of God. And where the, my heart is cold and dull and dry towards Him, I did that. My sin did that. And I must return to my King. The book of Revelation is a means of grace from our shepherd to help you in your seasons of discouragement and depression and doubt and frustration but only insofar as you're keeping the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're seeing it for what it is, a vision of your King, of His fullness, of His majesty. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? Because verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true. 
Everything that Revelation has depicted about Christ is trustworthy and true. Everything it said about the seven churches is trustworthy and true. Everything that Christ said about the need for is trustworthy and true. It's trust. We better keep the revelation of Jesus Christ. Obey it. Because it is true. And if we take it upon ourselves, well, I don't think so. I, I'm not so sure about that. I think it's about this. Are you sure you want to play that game with a holy God? Who he is trustworthy and true. You and I are not. Jeremiah tells us something you and I have to wrestle with every single day when we want to kind of boast in our own pride. The heart, your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You cannot trust it. So where do I put my hopes? On the true and trustworthy. God himself, Christ himself, the word, the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is a God who his character is true and trustworthy, and he has revealed himself to man. Propositionally, through the attributes and character of God on display from Genesis to Revelation, but even most clearly, through the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. And God, throughout the book of Revelation, has been sending his angel to John to show him what? Christ. These are the things that are taking place, must soon take place. They're trustworthy and true. Must soon take place. This thing was written in the first century. We're in the year 2019. Must soon take place. You, I don't know if I can call that trustworthy and true. Well, how can these prophecies be trustworthy and true when it said they're happening soon and it hasn't happened in 2,000 years? We must remember a couple of things. Number one, what is revealed in these visions is not a single event that happens at some unknown time in the future. If it's that, then it must happen soon. Then we have every right to say, well, that's a lie. It's been 2,000 years. But if we understand it as John in chapter 1 creates our interpretive key, we understand that this is not, these things are not talking about a single event that will happen in some time in the future, but these are things that are happening at all times. In between Christ's ascension and his return, now all of a sudden, they did happen to the first century church and the second and the third and the fourth and the 20th century church. The influences of Antichrist were very much real in the first century. That was the Roman Empire and other influences. And every church in every age has their own Roman Empire, spirit of Antichrist, spirit that hates Christ. We have ours in our own day. These things have happened soon. They've been fulfilled in every age. So it doesn't undermine the trustworthiness of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because maybe in our understanding of Revelation, those things haven't happened soon. The flaw there may be our understanding of Revelation. And what it is Christ is saying must happen soon. Well, as we begin these closing verses of the book of Revelation, my prayer for my own heart, my prayer for you, my prayer for us, 
is that if even to this point we have failed to understand what John tells us the book of Revelation is about, it's not too late. Maybe you have fought with the word of God. Maybe internally you fought with me. I'll just leave that between you and the Lord. But here in these closing verses, what John is upholding, the great blessing of this book is in keeping it, obeying it. It's all about Jesus Christ. Oh, how, and I said this in one of the very first messages, Satan wants nothing more than for us to get through this study of the book of Revelation and leave us arguing and fighting about millennial views, end-time views. Who's this? Who's that? When's it coming? Why? Because Satan hates Christ. And the book of Revelation is about Christ. And based on this revelation of who Christ is, if God should be so pleased to give us eyes to see, the blessing is yours. It's mine. It's ours. And so far, as we keep it, we apply it, we live upon it. What is your great interest in the book of Revelation? I think it's an appropriate time to begin to ask. We've made our way through the study. Can you look back? Is your great interest in Revelation? I'm trying to clarify your, as best you can, understanding of the end times? Or is your great interest in the book of Revelation what John's interest is? knowing Jesus and the fullness of his glory and the fullness of his victory, the blessing that belongs to you as you walk out these doors back to a family where you're going to be fighting, back out into a world where you're going to go to a job where what you're asked to do is at odds with your faithfulness to Jesus, a world where you're going to go out there and you're going to be tempted within the next 30 minutes to drift away from Jesus Christ to something else. And that something else may not be an idol. It's, it may be to return back to your religion, return back to your morality, return back to your own interpretation of things. Anything but Jesus Christ. What is our great interest? How is it with our soul and Jesus Christ? Which describes you? Is the revelation of Jesus Christ a book to be kept? Are you keeping?